Oh, well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, who, who am I talking with? Hi, Oi. Uh, you are talking to a person with the name Magid Zahir. I'm an Egyptian-American poet. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm talking to you in the middle of uh, one of the blue-collar Coptic Christian neighborhoods in Egypt right now. I lived in America for 25 years, and my American dream uh, wasn't to make money. My American dream was to become a poet in English, and America gave me that dream. And now you're back in Cairo, though. So uh, how's it been there? Uh, I'm back in Cairo for about a month. It is for financial reasons. Uh, it's very interesting to discuss Marxist poetry. While uh, what's happening is like I... I uh, I became disabled. I lost the ability to work. I'm not sure for how long. Probably it feels like it might be for like a few years. Uh, and uh, that's why I'm back in Egypt trying to live under cheaper conditions. And it is my original hometown. So, and it is, there is like all kind of culture shock and counter culture shock things going on. So it is very, very interesting to to move from what you call first world to third world and from third world to first world back and, and vice versa and things like that. Does this make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first off, thanks for taking the time, like maybe taking the time to talk and getting the internet to work too for this. Um, and also, you know, like you'd lived in America for like maybe 25 years, I think. So I go to been to go yeah, back after exactly. that, like long a time. Yeah, it is, and and I and I wanna, I wanna engage the theme of Marxism in this, and like because it is everywhere, I guess, like class structure and class, uh, uh, class issues are are, and if if you also monitor it, like in Egypt, America, <laughs> I'm not sure, America has this very interesting thing where we try to hide class behind like some nicety. Like Bill Gates, you call him Bill. <laughs> I worked to Microsoft, and we used to call Bill Gates Bill. <laughs> I was like, and we in Amazon we call it Steve, Steve, and uh, and stuff like that. And it's just very, uh, it's very, it's, it's quite a joke actually, because as if this, this is hides like a person who's like at one point of time was the richest man in the world, the most powerful. In Egypt, you don't have that. In Egypt, the class is in your face. There is no attempt or niceties or anything like that to hide class. It's everywhere. So uh, when I moved to America, I'm using lots of like class uh, structure and Marxist sentences in my poetry. And I noticed like that makes me a weird person <laughs> because... Because like I'm carrying this from the first, from the third world. I'm carrying this from what I saw back in Egypt. Like I'm carrying this from what I learned in Arabic, reading Marx and Engels and stuff like that. So anyway, so I loved. Uh, I forgot the question, but I just wanted to in, 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 uh, integrate the Marxist notions of class into the dialogue we're having fundamentally about poetry and fundamentally about using language. And for me, uh, I never had, it, it always tro not troubled, it was always intriguing 
for people to read my poems, to find like class language and to find also spiritual language, to find God. There's always God. There's always Jesus. There's always Marx and Mar Marxist and, and Marx and Engels and stuff like that. That makes sense yeah. to you, Roy? For sure. And like one of the things that jumped out at me, like reading your reading your books is um, how much you use the phrase like surplus value. And I think like you said you worked at a tech company and it feels like working it, at a it tech is, company. It is my life. Yeah. My life is around surplus value. I, I have always been fascinated by the concept of surplus value. And I'm so surprised it is not used daily in the life of everybody in the world. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued about how they are able to socially construct a world where the world surplus value is not used, because this is it. This is this is how this is how the rich make their money. <laughs> there is no other way. Like it is very clear. Uh, there are two ways to approach equality. One of that, like it is to st stopping a theft. And in this case, you have to use surplus value. And another one is to use a certain, like, a, a loose notion of justice slash pragmatism that there's nobody worth, there's nobody's labor, including Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all these lovely people. Their labor shouldn't increase, should be higher than 20 times the labor of the lowest worker. They shouldn't, or the lowest worker of McDonald's. So you can approach it one way or the other. Like Piketty would approach it the other way, and I would approach it and like, like, no, it's 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 a theft. It's a theft. You are taking money from people. It doesn't matter what's your idea. It doesn't matter with the supply, supply demand or things like that. There is value got created only by the labor of people. That's it. That's why when you have. Uh, when you have a strike, <laughs> everything goes south. Am I, time for me to engage you with a question. Is what I'm saying sounds crazy or sounds reasonable? You're a person who, who has like surplus value title to you, uh, sorry, <laughs> Marxist poetry title to your, uh, to your uh, podcast, so highly likely you would agree with me, but, but, but it's an honest question. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that like, just with the podcast doing it is like, you know, I'm well aware that I'm putting out something that's very valuable and I'm using all my own time and resources to do it. And, you know, there's probably people in the poetry world who, like, listen to this who may have, like, way more money than me. And it's just like, yeah, that, that does strike me that I'm the one doing this kind of labor and there's people out there profiting off of it in whatever way. But also, you know, in my day job, I do, like, a spreadsheets job. And I know you worked yep. in tech, so you so you probably had a similar experience where it's like, I can see every day how much money I'm bringing in and how much money I get paid is like, just not like, there's just no relation <laughs> as far as my like bosses exactly. are concerned. Yeah. And you know, and at those kind of jobs, like a tech job or a spreadsheet job, it's very obvious. But I think for a lot of like, I think for a lot of Americans, like there's a, there's like a made, they're made to feel like a burden in a way. And you know, you have to be grateful for your job or whatever is a whole sort of mentality over here. I don't know if you. I don't know if you. Exactly, saw that. brilliant. Yes, I. I worked for a long time. I worked for a long time in the high tech industry, and I was paid very nicely. 
and I thought all the time that I am like really a burden. Why? Why they are paying me this money for just the basic common sense that I'm bringing to the table? I'm not bringing anything. And of course, like what was going on here was like was like like capitalist propaganda plus my own guilt that I brought with me from a very orthodox, which is very similar to Catholic, even higher form of guilt. Truth is, the higher ups were making much more money on nothing they're bringing, other than like a little bit of relationships here and there, and predefined money that they already brought with them. So, so uh, it's not like hate on the rich kind of situation. It's not like that. It's just like, what is a surplus value and why it is led to be there? So, and is it a word that can be used in the context of a poem? Maybe that was a fundamental question. And I always thought it's, it's a word that is needed, a lot needed in the context of a poem. Yeah, on the one, I, I totally agree with you. Like, because it, you know, that's something that in American poetry for a lot of time has been missing. But like, there's also like a whole ideology around poetry in America that just sort of tries to force that kind of thing out of the out of the equation or make you feel like you're weird for for using any te- kind of Marxist terminology like that. Especially, I think a word like surplus value, which I think most poets would say is kind of an ugly kind of kind of phrase for to them. <laughs> I think there's a fear of using that kind of language in poetry, at least in America. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. There is like there is a group of uh, like the Vancouver gang. They are I I I forget. The, oh my God! The, I it's can't the, believe I forget the, the name. The They're my friends. Kudney School. Kudney School and Jeff Dirksen and 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 the folks and they use these terms a lot. But their the use is different. Like I am, I'm integrating them in a lyrical context in a in a in a post New York school, post second generation New York school lyrical context. At least that's what I did for a while. Uh, Dirksen uses it to construct sentences and a very broken lineage. Uh, where these sentences, where this terminology are the fundamental feed or the fundamental language that he's using. So, so, so Dirksen and, and what Dirksen does and what I do are a little different because I aspire into a more mainstreamish. Uh, I really mean it, like I, I, not like a mainstream poetry, like to be approved in poetry, as, because. I, I am not approved in general poetry. You, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to be winning pen awards or Pulitzer or anything like that anytime soon. But I mean that I really want the people who have high school and above to, to read my poems and, and engage with them. Because that is by the word mainstream I mean. I, I, it's like I, 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 maybe the word accessibility is better. But so I don't know if Dirksen goes for that or not. I don't think he does. If he if he goes, he doesn't. Yeah, like in um when in towards the end of like well speaking about them like uh there's kind of like they do a combination in a way of like um some of the language poetry stuff with some of the more like I don't know 
it might get blend, terms like activism poetry someone like audrey yeah. lord they do a nice they do they blend that in a way that at the time i think yeah, but, they do it, and there's like they, they do it. Some some of the stuff that they do is very well. Colin Smith is his name. Colin Smith. Yeah, he's, he's the, like one of my poetry bibbies. gods. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, so. I love the guy. His his first book was just like I read it and I laugh, and I am just in in awe of how smart it is. So this is just a shout out for him if he ever listened to this. Hey man, you're a god. We love you. I love you, and I yeah, know, we, do I'd not love, to to love you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you in one of your, in was it the consequences of my body? You have like a, a, maybe not a poem, but maybe a prosy moment where you talk about you came to English via the language poets. And That's I guess, true. yeah. Yeah. And I guess like you're, you're talking a lot about the New York school. I guess like, you know, what was your journey like? I guess coming to how you, like the style you, you write in, like you're saying the kind of, post seconds post yeah here's the things that i always would like to say i would all i would i would say in every every interview from now if anybody would would be interested in ever interviewing me is like i don't know why frank o'hara writes like me so that's really you really like i didn't read frank o'hara before i started writing how i wrote i really didn't i read the language poets and I am just like I'm a st- I'm a city poet from Cairo. I, my basics is about walking the streets of Cairo, like the neons, the 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 the, the shops, everything. It ended up like after I wrote "Thank You for the Window Office," that I started comparing what I am people people did that, and I started doing it, comparing this to what Frank O'Hara is doing. Uh, has been doing is like there is there is a, there is a very very interesting comparison that suggested I have been influenced by him. I'm not. I'm I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not saying this in arrogance. I swear. It's like I'm just like it's just we came from different places and we arrived to the same kind of like kind of thing. He's much more fun than me. That's that's a fact. I'm much more edgier and I'm as much more Marxist than me. There's much more like there's like he 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 doesn't have that. He's much more interesting and everything for for sure. Like he's a great poet. I am just a poet if I'm lucky. But but the approaches were were arrived upon in in, in similar in, in in different from different angles. The, my influence was language poets. Is there the people who I started reading and wanting to mimic and failing in mimicking. So that is what has like, so you have your father, you decide this father, this is your father, and you start trying to copy your father, and you fail because you have an innate approach that is not your father's approach. So that is my relationship, like my, like the language poets were the poets who I, I came, I came to, first I was like, okay, I'm a Marxist, I want the Marxist poets in English. I was like, okay, here are language poets. I started reading language poets, like Ron Seliman's new sentence was fascinating. And some of Bernstein was interesting. And Bruce Andrews was quite amazing, actually. And lots of like, 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 like the, the what you call it, the second, not second generation, the second tier, like the ones who don't make the the the, the HR first cut, uh, like Kit Robinson, who I think like a phenomenal poet, 
you start reading these poets and then suddenly now you start writing and the writing looks different than what you wrote. Although I wanted to write what similar to what they have. But, and I remember I showed my work to Rothenberg and he said like, oh, I don't know what people call language poetry anymore. And I felt very guilty and stupid that I'm claiming like lineage to 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 uh, language poets, yet I'm not writing similar to them. But it was what it was. It was what it was. That makes sense? Yeah, for sure. That's a that's a really interesting story about the your but you and the language poets. But I did want to maybe Yeah, it, oh, it's no, true. It's like there is a, it, like the Freudian term of like killing the father is like it's like you, you didn't kill the father, you just miscarried like you you, <laughs> you you wanted to copy the father. You ended up copying another father by mistake, the New York school. So, and so that, that's, how it, that's how it happened. Yeah, well, I think it does make sense in a way, too, because it's like, you know, you, it seems like having read your poetry and stuff, you, you've spent most of your life in cities. And I think you've had, you know, like, I don't know, like someone like Mario Santiago also wrote kind of the poetry about, you know, living and, you know, just walking around every day and, in city in cities in his case mexico city and of course frank o'hara was in new york but like you know you i think you've spent your life in, in just a couple cities and i guess in that way that's kind of it kind of makes sense that you would write something similar because you know you've had you know the similar experience of living living in a city like that if yeah i don't know does yeah. that make sense to you yeah that makes perfect sense you just end up like you end up writing uh, many city poets write similarly because it is the experience of walking and 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 having your sight moving from one shop to the next from one human to the next this like is is can can dictate the form of the of the poem if that makes sense yeah no i totally get that because like i didn't i didn't grow up in a city and like the experience of go like every time i went to a city it was always like a hugely just dis- like when especially when i was a kid it was a hugely disorienting experience because it's just like there's like, like whoa dude there's like so much shit here like what how how do you how do you stay fo- like how do you not just feel disoriented all the time and i guess like that's something you're getting at like you know talking about like there's a moment in uh the consequences of my body where you're like how you have a moment you're talking about love but it's, it feels like just like a general feeling how do you not have like an ironic relation to this capitalist world given like especially in a city like how do you do that and that seems like a problem in, like all your poetry that you've been trying to wrestle with but you, know, you you nailed it man you nailed it. Uh, it it is exactly like that it's like it's a disorienting world especially if you layer upon it the capitals that want to make a buck of you and if of everybody else and the competition everybody else is trying to have with you and the competition you have with everybody else. Oh, my method is better. Your method is better. I want to keep my job. You want to keep your job. Things like that. You add a layer of trying to have love, which is love in a way, the way I see it. Like, what was it? Like that? I don't like the expression of uh, of uh, what's his name? The, the guy from the Beats Generation, the guy who killed his wife, uh, the writer, mm. Bur- Burroughs, Burroughs. His love is sex and sentimentality. 
I, I don't like that. I, I come from a more romantic version of love where it's just like 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 feeling kindness and 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 elevated feelings in and and transcendental things. And if you are day in, day out fighting hard, how can you how can you how can you have love? How can you do that? Is that doable? Is it anything but just like forming a family so you can have sex and some sentimentality? And like, is it doable? Can you avoid irony? The problem is like I didn't avoid irony until the last book. The consequences of my, like, the consequences of my, my body is a bitter book, but not an ironic book, which is a big difference. Like I, I did ironic books until that book. That book is bitter, is angry, is not angry as bitter. Bitter is the right word, like uh, which replaces irony. It is more kind of like I'm coming to a confrontation with a system that is not allowing me to exist as a human being. And and of course, I I felt sick eventually. This system just really nailed me eventually. But, and that was also my mistake because all the time the system does something very brilliant on you, which makes you feel like you are the only one who will survive. Look around you. Very few of you survive. The majority fall, but you will be one of the few who will survive. So you buy this. <laughs> You'll be one of the few because you are very smart. You're so special. Look how special you are. So you bite it <laughs> and you do it and you go with irony. It hits you after a while that this is all a trap and that's when you come with the bitterness. Does that make sense? Sorry, my, my, I'm, is, is that make sense is a standard, uh, is a standard end of my answers. <laughs> Because I have lived all my life in extreme worrying of making of not making sense, of like saying something that is stupid or like stuff something like that. No, no. I, as you just said, I feel like you nailed it to there, and like maybe I'd add like uh, like I think the irony question is something people have been grappling with for a couple of decades now, and like especially in the online world, it seems like an even more more pressing question. And I guess, like, too, what struck me about consequences of my body compared to, like, your earlier work is how many, like, you, you had, like, much many more, like, prosy moments where you kind of move from the usual kind of short, short, short poems to, like, short series of poems to series of, like, you know, prose poems and even just, like, pages of prose. Like, for instance, you know, like, where you're talking about love and you're, you're talk you talk about, you know, the language poets, but also being a descendant of, you know, Arab love poems and how they're you know more problematic than their more problematic wait more problematic than their poems are their stories and like you know i guess too you you're what was interesting to me about that was you were talking about it in contrast with um the edmund jabez and i guess like and you talk about him as being someone i guess well maybe like for you like what 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 is the contrast there between jabez and the the arab love poems you're talking about uh by the way, as we speak uh, in the city, there's a guy who is walking by with a mic trying to sell something really very cheap. <laughs> but uh, uh, 
but he does it in a way that disrupts everybody in the neighborhood and disrupting this this dialogue which is, is cool i would like if you would keep it actually in in the edited version it's oh, a, I always it's do, a yeah. It's an impromptu notion of what a city, of what is what's in being in a blue color part of the city is. Jabez was born a French poet. So I don't know. And I and 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 and, and he's too abstract for me. I, I I don't get him well. I don't get him like I know he's a great poet. And I see, like, his lines, some of his lines, I was like, wow, I don't know how, is he, how he got there. But the overall story, like, like no story, I know he's tackling the book, Disappearance and the Holocaust. But he was born a French poet. So, so when he was exiled, he was exiled. That's a fact. He was forced to exile. And... But he was exiled in the country of the language he chose to root on when he was in Egypt. My story is different. Nobody forced me to exile. I left by my own choice. Granted, I left because I, there was no financial means in Egypt and I had to go to America to live. But I adapted English in America. So English is an exiled language for me. It's not... So this is a fundamental difference between us. And I write about the immediacy. He lived his life as a writer. I lived my life as a software engineer. So I wrote always from the point of view of a software engineer who is talking about the failure of love and uh, capitalism. Uh, so we are very different as poets coming out of Egypt. He looks very Egyptian. He looks like exactly the... And, and, and I almost like look more French than him. But, but, if, it, but it, if it makes any sense, we are not a poets who are made to see eye to eye due to our class difference. He was born richer than how I was born. And that, so that's why he learned French at a very earlier age. Uh, and wrote in French at that age. That wasn't me. I, I'm not that person. I'm a different kind of an animal. I am I'm, I'm more of a like Marxist poet because I had to because I was born poor. I'm still poor. I'm still not, or still not rich, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like earlier in the conversation, you, kind of, you, you, you said kind of like, I'm a poet if I'm lucky. Like, I guess, you know, is that like for you part of like the the way you know like the cow especially in america the way capital and whatnot makes you feel like you know you're lucky to have a job or whatever yeah it it, it is thanks for seeing that like like my life in general when you're poor even if you are the gpa 4.0 kid which i am the gpa 4.0 kid uh you always feel this is like it is all by chance if you are lucky by chance, you became a poet by chance. Am I any good? I really don't know. I, I, I hope I'm the best, but I don't think I'm any good because I am not designed emotionally to think that I'm any good. Do you understand? So this is the heart about the Marxist, the Marxist, the theme of Marxism, the theme of like, like the social construction of the psyche of the human. 
And for me, that who lives under capitalism, for me, it was like, uh, every poet is like an arrogant fuck or just want to be the best. For sure, yes, of course. This is, it comes with a job. But truly, truly, Roy, do I think I'm any good? I don't think I'm any good. After I'm 53 and I spent a long time and I have like some really decent, decent like critics who told me, Megid, you're doing great things. But deep in my heart, I don't think I'm any good. Deep in my heart, I don't think I'm any good. I don't think I'm any good even as a software engineer, although I was like held the highest ranking technical job in a couple of organizations. I still don't think I'm any good. I'm socially constructed by emotional feelings. I constructed such that I cannot feel that I'm any good in anything I do. Does that make any sense? It's tragic <laughs> in a way and funny <laughs> in some other way, but that is how they make us so we can function and work and bring more surplus value, if I would use this word, to the table. This time, I will not tell you am I making sense because I know I'm making sense. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> No, I mean, you're definitely making sense. Like, I have that, like, even doing this podcast, I'm like, shit, am I, am I doing a good job doing this podcast? And it's like, there's no way for me to say yes, like, given how, th like, things, have, given, like, how things are. It's like, I'm never going to, like, succeed, quote, unquote, doing this podcast because, first off, it's called the Marxist Poetry Podcast and how many, how many poets That's, in America yeah. are, are, are down with that? Not, not very many. But, like, I, I definitely get the same feeling where there's no way, like, how, how is this supposed to work? And the answer is it's not supposed to work. But that doesn't, I don't know, for me, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean there's, like, a quality thing. I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those contradictions I live in with, because of this. Yeah, I, I have, I want to also give a shout out to a good friend of mine that I actually had a big fight with. But I hope, I hope... Uh, the shout out is fair to him. My friend Joshua Beckman, who I respect as a poet a lot, actually. And I invite you to invite him to, to this podcast. He would he have something interesting to say, actually. So Joshua, at one of like these down days, I met at his place. And he told me, like, Megan, like, I don't like, is this poetry thing any, 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 of any use, man? It's like, is that useful? Is it just like, is it just like screwed up thing we are doing? He said, listen, it's all the difference is money. How good is the hundred, is a thousand and one Coca Cola ad? Nothing. How important it is? Nothing. It's just money that is the difference. Well, so money is what. Can I Go ahead. real quick and say, like, how, like, was your software job important? Like, was doing the, all um, that stuff important? You know what I mean? Like, do you get that? It feeling? wasn't important. As he, here's the deal. I always, I, it was very, imp I, I, I behaved inside as it was the most important thing in the world because I couldn't do anything but throw myself in 100% whenever, because it was, became a, Became, it became problems. So, for example, here is a business problem we need to solve. I never stopped to say, like, why do we need to solve this business problem? Because this business problem is like, was like, like let's make more money. 
I never stopped to question that. But it was like my question was like, okay, that is the business problem. Let us see how we do our best as engineers to make this problem solvable. So I would throw myself 100% in as if I never learned a lesson in, 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 in Marxism. And I would just try to get this making, making the business richer, best engineering solution possible. And that was my job. And, and I fought hard for that. I don't know why, man. I have no idea. It is just like because I was wired to do the right thing. And that was the right thing. And, and it's like to solve the technical problem properly. I never saw that if it is, it's a problem when I, it's a better thing. When I stepped outside, I was like, I'm just making a rich person richer. It felt very alienating and it felt stupid, but I couldn't not solve it properly. Like there was a good boy in me. Like I wasn't like, I wasn't an autonom, autonom, autonomous worker who just like disrupts the work. I wasn't that person. I was like, just on, just do an honest job. I don't know. I solved it as if I was working for the socialist state, the utopian state. So I solved it such as that it has to be solved by the book for the best outcome that's possible for us. Make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that's like, that's an experience I've had too, where it's like, especially in America, like you have to work like even if even if you've read and understood and feel like you understand like you know surplus value and all that you have to then go clock in every day as if as you said as if you've never heard of marxism and you just have to like you have to work like it's the most important thing in the world that's especially in america that's what it demands that that working like it's the most important thing and that's so like for me too that's like such an alienating experience like just like pretending I yeah just everything's cool. demand it's not that just it demands it is it is you are wired not to act differently you are wired actually to dislike the person who is sitting there and being laid back and your choice is like hey come work with us why are you sitting there laid back and doing nothing so so we become like like not just good workers we become workers who are asking other workers to work hard yeah, and you write but, about desire a lot in your poems too. It's another one of the big themes, I'd say. Yeah, desire. Like I, I was born, uh, like <laughs> uh, what's it called? Is a uh, the the uh, one of the <laughs> astronomy uh, astrological science that seems to be like sex a lot. So I always like like sex and desire were like or desire in general were something that just have always been on the table something I felt is I pursued something I felt that like it, it, it's it is very interesting because in the third world where I am from desire is very regulated and especially sexual desire and things like that and America, it was more enabled, so that's why I was able to write a, a lot about it. But it, but the way it was materialized was just like, like, was like there was sexual desire. If 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 if, if I if I would revert to the pathetic, there was sexual desire without love, 
if that makes sense. And that was destructive in many ways. Like there were many people I was like, okay, can we just form a union? I was that possible? I was like, no, that's just, just sexual, like uh, love became a commodity. Everybody, you, you notice around you, there's more commodification of the notion of love that than than before. It's like everybody is like, hey, I want a person who has this one, two, three specification or one, two, three specification, at least early. And many of the unions don't last for long. So anyway, I'm I'm talking like I'm talking like like women are from Mars and men are from whatever. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll chat up for a little bit. And you, I'll give you a chance just to give me a question to correct, so I can I can correct my answer. Like if we we'll introduce a dialectical way of dialogue. Yeah, I feel like you you talked about this in an interview. Maybe maybe it was on an entropy with Joe Malazzo. You you talked about like the way yeah. capital structures desire, but I think you're also talking about too like the the difference there in coming to America with with how desire works here, especially love. Yeah, like where I came from, like there is, there is like everything is very structured. Like, like the 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 portal down there would prevent a woman coming to a single man, uh, because this is something that is you shouldn't have. So, uh, so there is, so desire is a very, very like according to the morality of a society that is kind of hyp- hypocritical morally. Uh, you come to America as like it's a free form of desire. You just like. <laughs> hey, enjoy! It is capitalism. It is uh, we control how you make uh, how you work, but we don't control your private desires. It is not like that at all. Your private desire is structured deeply in a in a huge commodification model that is inevitable. That everybody is within, no matter what. It just, it is also, it's very much like calling Bill Gates Bell <laughs> while he has the power to just really annihilate you. I remember being in a meeting with Bill Gates while, uh, like, uh, he sees something he doesn't like, he starts shouting, and everybody just goes so scared. And then one of the guys next to him, he would just, like, talk to him privately until he calms down i was like okay how how are we gonna call this guy bell again <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just very very enamored with calling bill gates a bell in in the company as if this was, was like like should we call him like mr bell monster bell <laughs> or, or something like that so yes it looks like there are free form of desire there isn't it is a structured its commodification is there. How it is, how it's playing, how the interplay happens. It needs some really clever studies to figure out how this all happening and how it's all tied to capital. Because you cannot go to work and be commodified in a certain way yourself and then go look at other people in a way that is free form and very kind and very elaborate and stuff like that. You are you are bound to look at people in a commod- in a way that is commodified as you are commodified. Make sense? For sure. And also, like, it seems like, and maybe we can, I can relate this back to what you were saying with that conversation with Joshua Beckham. Beckman, it's like, um, sorry, uh, 
like uh like there's a he he him saying to you like are we like are we doing anything here with this poetry thing and I, it feels like you know first off like you like desires in america like you can desire anything but like the ability like ever like satisfying any of those desires seems difficult <laughs> uh but but like with poetry it's like are you like the feeling like are we doing anything here uh I think more and more, like the institutions, especially the like the poetry institutions in America, is, have been confronted with this because, well, because of Trump for them. But I think it's a longer running issue, and they can just pretend to blame it on Trump now. But you know, like it seems to me like liberals are fa- like just generally in this country are facing like a crisis. Like, are we are we doing anything here? And it, I don't know. Like the answer, the answer is obviously no. But like, what like. <laughs> If you have, if you have that kind of worldview, like what do you do with that? Like the answer is like you can't do anything with that. And I mean, like, what do you what do you make of that kind of contradiction where you're being faced with? I guess. Yeah, the the mainstream poetry world, what end up being is like they are just Democrats, correct? So let's, let's be very let's 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 name let's name things what they are. Okay, there are very few poets who are Republican and they're interesting. Okay, but they're very few. They're they're not part of. Uh, a bigger institute or anything but the bigger institutes the lanans the stuff like that they're just like basically democrats and they write poetry that fits the democratic agenda which you sure right or left is like it is it's still a capitalist agenda correct we're not going any it's just like a very i wish it was a welfare state it's not a welfare state even it's just like it's still a capitalist agenda so cool. Who are the poets who will be funded with that? What kind of writings they will be, be writing? It's kinda gonna be bad. Because poetry by definition there's no money in it. Unless you are one of these poets for sure. And when there is no money in it, you might as well the people who go there are radical. Like they just go back, you know, like so so it's it's a strange dilemma and and I can't like for me, I, I feel hypocritical because I made, I was able to be a radical poet because I was able to make money out of a corporate job. So, but I didn't, but honestly, it doesn't matter corporate job or not. I don't think I could have been any different of a poet, like in terms of the radicalness of what I did. I don't know how I would have been, how, how could I have been. I might have been different because I wouldn't have like the experience of being in co-working in corporate America or things like that. So anyway, I, I sympathize with the Democrats' agenda at this point of time, but in the meantime, I don't not sure how to sympathize about the Democratic poets' agenda. I think we need to become much more on the left, and then this the clan and foundation or whatever bigger foundations, you just need to come outside a little bit and uh, support more radical poets. It's also too like you like you're saying there's no welfare state like in the United States. And so like people who get as you're saying, people who get funded, that is like the welfare now. It's it's all just, you know it's all it's all, you know, generous donations from Bill. That's that's the welfare now. And it you know, it fucking sucks. <laughs> That, that is we all have to go back to Bell and ask Bell for money is that how it is Bell saves the world from malaria Bell will save us from COVID Bell is the solution 
How can you go around that? I don't know. Do you do radical politics? I don't know if it is doable in America. Let me tell you a strange story. I don't know why I'm telling it. It's just like, it's like, it's an honor of these people. Uh, the Saudi Arabia long time ago had a bunch of folks who were started a communist party. They were about 50 or more, but that's about it. It is. And they figured out about them, they found them out, and then they took them by helicopters and threw them away in the desert. That was a punishment to die like that. And this is like, this is in a way, I'm like, and like what I'm saying is not going to be stupid to be making fun of them, but I'm just like, okay, we got it. It is kind of quite radical to. To, to form a communist party in Saudi Arabia, which means that like you deserve that. As, but in the meantime, this is an honor of a truly radical bunch who wanted to go all the way and change the society radically. Is it doable in America? I don't think it's doable. America is so decentralized that you might have to just like keep with the democrat agenda i i don't know i don't know politics so this is where i just like i i behave like a democrat then i write like a marxist <laughs> something like that if that if that uh, and maybe i'm part of the problem in, in doing that yeah well, i i would say like too i have serious questions about whether it's doable in america a lot of the times now i feel like in America, anyway, I we're in this situation where it's like America is almost is basically a fascist state, and if we want to do anything, uh, it's we're in a sort of Weimar Republic or post Weimar Republic moment where uh, the best we could do is just just general sabotage anymore. There's no, I just generally sometimes think there's no hope politically, like in the you know, like in the Democrats, it, or it looks like there is no hope political. There is no. It looks like there is no hope political, but there is like there is that's that is the conversation become is that there is no hope. Fair enough, but is there a hope for preventing collapse, full collapse, which can be really bad? That is the conversation and what it becomes about. And I, and I'm I listen. I'm. I wish if I know more. I wish if I can understand. Like there was like Michael Hart said. Uh, there was why he was once like fighting with uh, rebels in some Latin American country, and they told him like, "Hey, can't you just like go to America and start a revolution?" And the and Michael Hart said like, "How you do that?" He said like, "Okay, you go find. Don't you have a mountain? You go find a mountain, and you start having a militia there." And that's Michael Hart. Who is it like? Oops, we are screwed. Uh, because imagine like going to a mountain in America and starting a rebel. This is this is this is it's a completely a terrain that like you cannot map. It is that is how you do a revolution in Latin America, but that's not how you do a revolution in America. How you would do a revolution in America? Many people wrote, and it doesn't seem the decentralized plus the federal. It's too big and it's too wild. If anything, it is the fascist who will have who have the power actually. So you don't want to actually disrupt anything because the fascists 
the ones with the guns. The, the, actually, not just the fascists, the Nazis, <laughs> are the ones with the guns. So it can get really very south. Where I, where I am from, by the way, <laughs> at the end, when I lived in Atlanta for three years. Yeah, and like, uh, there's no, sh- like, in, in America too, there's like no shortage. One of the things that's really distressing about that is like, there's no, sh- as we just saw, um, there's no shortage in America of people who are willing to pull the trigger, like, in, in terms of fascists who would just, like, who want to kill. There's, there's so many people like that. I grew up in a really rural, rural, rural area, full of Republicans. And I, growing up, I looking back, I know so many people who wouldn't hesitate a moment to to pull the trigger to on on any kind of protesters or anything like that. And it's just yeah, distressing. Yeah, yeah I th- I think like figuring out a peaceful way out seems to be it seems to be like the only way around it. It's how it can be done. Uh, I am not sure, but uh, which uh, Trump is like making it very hard. Trump is basically figuring, making it like it's me, it's my way or the highway, and it's like threatening violence if if his way didn't happen. And he knows what he's doing, and he's a scary dude. He understands power very well. He he really does. And anyway, so I'm just like so. So I think like that has been always a debate in the Marxist world, which is like, can you do a transition using peaceful ways, peaceful models, or, or the only way to transition is via revolution, and a revolution means like, uh, like when the Egyptian revolution happened in 2011, there was almost like a model that many people wanted to follow, and the folks in Wisconsin wanted to follow. I think that can be a model that can be helpful, which is like like large demonstration, like 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 the the notion of the one percent that came out. I think that like like uh, the is it called Free Wall Street or whatever it's called, like Oh yeah, uh, Occupy. Occupy. Sorry, my memory is just messed up from the illness, I think it is. I think it is the illness because my memory was never really that bad. So Occupy Wall Street would be a model that need to be keep being followed, uh, and but it's just like getting more people into it. The problem is like people would look at it and say like, "Oh, these are a bunch of radical buffoons." It's like, no, this you need you need that you need that you need the ability to gather lots of people in the street and have a physical pressure that bad things will happen unless you do that. Anyway, we're away, f- away from poetry, so I'm, I have to apologize if I really don't know any, anything about what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just, it's just no, like, it's, I'm a mug. Go ahead. I was like, no, no, it's fine. I was going to ask you about this, too. Like, especially, like, you were just saying in America, like, the context of, like, you were just saying in America about how, like, it feels like sometimes if like the only like if we do manage to make a moment for change like radical change here it's only going to be taken advantage of by like the fascists and it feels like you know i think one reading for instance of like you know tahrir square and, and the revolution in egypt is you know there was that moment where it came about and then the military and the muslim brotherhood took advantage of it rather than 
you know, the liberals or the, any kind of leftists in Egypt. I don't know if you feel that way, but like, I think yeah, maybe yeah. that's what, yeah. The leftists made, mis- left made mistakes. The leftists made mistakes. It was like, the leftists made a major mistake. They thought like they can win by themselves. They thought like they can be pure. And it doesn't work like that. They had to choose either they would work with the Muslim Brotherhood or they would work with the military. And they decided not to work with anybody. <laughs> so the, the, the military was more interested in working with the leftists because they had a very good, like, good PR outside. And they looked very interesting and exciting. And they were like, offer Egypt as a, a more modern state for the world. So, and they started trying to build the constitution that include that. And the leftists were like, nope. We're not going to have it. It's the guys. This is important. So they basically, the leftists who were like the core of the revolution, uh, when they decided not to work with the military and they decided not to work with anybody, the Muslim Brotherhood offered themselves, they would always offer themselves to work with anybody to just have any piece of power. So they offered themselves to work with the military and the rest was history. So... It was a mistake uh, because there were people who were not trained in politics. It just it was simple. It was simple. It was this is a part that just strikes me as crazy. It's like like because there are people who like put lots of slogans and things like that. And it's like guys, it's simple. You have to work with someone. You are not. You don't have enough mechanisms of power. You don't have the institutions. You don't have this. So you have to offer somebody something, and this somebody will. Like the, the, just the basic politics, man. They, they just didn't do it. They didn't have it. So we all are paying the penalty for all of this right now. And we pay the Muslim Brotherhood opportunism. And so that, that, that's it. Yeah, like that's something I worry. Like as you were saying, that's something I worry about in the context of America too. It's just the left doesn't have that much power. And what happens in one of those situations? Like what happens if even if we managed to make some kind of like opportunity like that, as we saw, like, I, I feel like a lot of people in America really haven't really learned any kind of lessons from what was called the Arab spring. Cause so many of those, I, it's, it's not difficult to see so many of those revolutions went very sideways. And I don't, I don't know. If it went really... very sideways. No, but, but why you, you had the example, it's Bernie Sanders was there. Bernie Sanders wins every time and then they surround him and they don't give him an inch. They're not giving him an inch. Like, it is a reverse situation that is happening within America. Bernie Sanders comes close. But then they don't give his people who are into economic equality or anything like that an inch in the... Because they're scared of the, if they showed that the 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 people who has the money will 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 not give money to the Democrats, and it will be a disaster. So, for example, what's her name? Ocasio Cortez. They gave her a seat in the in the in the environment, not in the equality. And Bernie is like Bernie doesn't try to damage anything. It's really quite strange for me. Why, why, why Hillary Clinton didn't have Bernie Sanders as her running mate? It brings me 
to tears. And the same also about Joe Biden, why he doesn't have Joe Biden, why he didn't have one of, if, if not Bernie himself, one of his people as his running mates. Why? Why? Well, I, th I think it goes back sense. to Bill. That Bill. Bill wouldn't like it. Bill wouldn't like it. So that's it. That's exactly. Bill wouldn't like it. That is, this is, this is, this is, I have to tell you this story, although it's extremely irrelevant, but it is, it's all about Bill. Uh, Egypt had like uh, uh, this great, great, absolutely great bookstore called the Matbudi bookstore. Okay. Like this guy Matbudi, he, 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 he wasn't that literate, but he can get you a book from nowhere. And he was famous for the 60s and 70s intellectuals. And he built this wonderful bookstore in the best uh, uh, square in Egypt. And then the guy died and his son came. Uh, uh, and the Gulf Arabs, they are called Arabs. They have lots of money. So anyway, so his son came and his son like just like doesn't have doesn't have the same uh, thirst for knowledge and for satisfying his clients' requests and stuff like that. He just he inherited a very nice bookstore and he's just selling it, selling whatever is in it. So there was once decided to have the the book uh, fair in an in an area different than the areas they do it every year. So they were asking different people, would you, would, that, would it work or wouldn't it work? So the son of Matbuli <laughs> answer was, it wouldn't work, guys. Is it like why? Is it like there will be no Arabs? Okay. So so this became for me the, the expression: there will be no Arabs. This means like there will be no Gulf Arabs, like there will be no Saudis, Kuwaitis, and stuff like that. Of people with serious money, the bell, the bell of the of the market, basically for us. So from now on, I have used it as a used this as a mantra. Will there be Arabs? Like that will that will always be my question when someone asks me anything. Should, should will this work? Because like my question will be, will there be Arabs? And the Arabs here would be bell. So will will the American left succeed? Like, will there be Arabs? Will there be Bell? Can we convince Bell? Can we convince Bell? I don't think we can convince Bell. So there will be no Arabs. Anyway, I hope I hope the story didn't sound very off, but it is. It it it, it, it is. A, it has been like a. It, it has been. It has been like a mantra for me for a while. No, no, that's that. No, that made sense. Uh, and it, it that is basically the the predicament. I think. We're in broadly. That's a predicament we all have. It's like, are the Arabs, are Bell, <laughs> will they come for us in the revolution when we start the revolution? It's a very sad situation because it is obvious that Bell will not come. So, <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? Well, you know, this, this brings up something too, like with the. With like very specifically with Egypt, there was like that. I remember, I forget his name, but there was that one guy who was like high up at Google who was involved in it. And I feel like yeah, yeah, two yeah. thousand eleven like was a different time. And I feel like if anything like that happened now, there would be no tech people on the side so on their side like out there demanding change. 
there will be yeah exactly this guy was like like it was very interesting there and i think so many things happened in his life i think he might have encountered the same illness i encountered which is bipolar disorder because he was just like at say at one point of time in public saying things that people considered very problematic i i, I hope whoever wherever he is that he's he's, he's okay i forgot his name naturally but like I did too, so... Yeah, yeah, I want to say something. Like, hey, like, this is a shout-out for all my friends. I, guys, I really get sick, okay? It is, like, crazy, crazy, crazy sick. You have to check, check out mania or bipolar disorder, guys, okay? So, check out that. Uh, in the middle of this mania, each mania, I start like normal, and in the middle of this mania, I think I'm Jesus Christ. Seriously, that's how I think. So, so I really want to apologize for anybody I've done something horrible to, okay? Because I know I sent bad messages, bad photos, bad things. I really, I, I was Jesus Christ. You have to, <laughs> you have to learn to forgive Jesus Christ. And I, I didn't mean it. I, my mind, I, I don't actually know. At this point of time, I don't know who, who to who, who to apologize to and who isn't because my memory isn't fast enough to collect the processing of the mania. The mania means like all the neurons in my mind are firing so fast because there's no place in my mind to, for the memory pieces to rest, for the things to rest. Like, and I would like come up with big theories about like, and I would just respond to things that happen on my phone as if they are messages from God. So anyway, uh, I, this, I'm just using this platform and with the kindness of Roy to apologize. And I'm doing better now and to ask you for, for your prayer that I will stay better, I will stay good, okay? And to forgive me, please. I didn't mean it for real. Yeah, and you said, well, no, maybe... Oh, go on. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and you said you moved back to Egypt to, um, you know, for, be for, for being, I guess, better health... Well, for healthcare reasons, basically. It's for financial reasons... Which means better health reason, because like I, so I can afford being able to live there, live here, because I cannot afford to live in Atlanta where I was living. Yeah, I need more money in Atlanta than money in Egypt to go through my daily, daily day in day out kind of situation. Yeah, well, I mean, how like I guess how, how have you been doing in in Egypt for the past you know for the past couple months I guess. Yeah, first, when I first arrived, I, I went to a hospital. I stayed for three weeks, and I'm out for like about a week, ten, two, a week or two right now. And I'm doing, I'm doing well. It's just, it is, it is really very hard, uh, whether, because I was actually, I'm actually, the best thing that happened to me in this whole thing is that I'm writing much better poetry. Uh, even this mania and illness and everything. So my poetry is better than what I was doing in consequences of my body. But the problem I'm having right now is 
when you are Jesus Christ, everything is solved for you. Like you are, every movement you make is a movement from God, is a movement that's sanctioned from God. You can't go wrong. But if you are an average Jew, then anything can go wrong. You understand me? So it's just like anything can go wrong. So these are two radical things when you move away from the mania to normal. But in the meantime, after the two manias that I have had, I am much more of a religious person now. So I'm trying to introduce a sense of accepting my next movement as acceptable by God or as it is okay or it is like or like just basically working on not fighting hard my life. Just accept what will happen. And accept what would the outcome will be. So basically try to bridge Jesus Christ to the average Jew with a sense of faith. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess too, something you were talking about earlier is how that means I guess no no more of that kind of ironic uh type stuff. Exactly. I uh I there was bitterness in uh, bitterness in in the consequences of my body, but right now there is more of a faith, which is a step beyond bitterness, which is faith. It's like okay, I what is God? I don't know. It's not clear. It, there is notion from something called simulation hypothesis that drives me, drives my interest that I'm interested in looking into a little bit. And, and that was when I was really mad or like I was really manic. That was what was driving like Jesus. I was Jesus. I wasn't just Jesus Christ. I was Jesus Christ exacting the second coming. <laughs> so, so I had a mission. So anyway, uh, right now I'm trying to see like how can I behave with uh, with faith in my mind. It's not easy. It's not easy because uh, all my life I behaved without faith. Without faith, I behaved with doubt. And then, then this madness happened, and now I'm saying, like, okay, how can I just behave with just as a normal person? I don't have to be Jesus Christ, just an average Jew, Maggot Zehel, who just believes in, like, believes in God. How that would, how that would, what does that would mean? Like, when a bad thing happened, what does this mean? When a good thing happened, what does this mean? Yeah, because like I get, I get like having read some of your poems too. I get the like you're saying you if you had any kind of beliefs, it was just doubt previously. You know what I mean? Like it was as we've been yeah. talking about. It's hard to have any beliefs, but but faith, I guess. It, it, capitalism destroys your faith. It, it does. You have no faith in anything. You have no faith for the people walking next to you. You have no faith for your boss. You have no faith for your co. Oh my God. There's nothing you can have any faith in. You don't can't have faith of your competing company of you. I have a question for you. Why did you choose me for this? Because I'm really grateful. You have no idea where you're coming. The time you are coming at, I'm I'm a mad person. I haven't published a book in five years. I'm a mad person coming out for five mental institutes. And I, granted, like I had a couple of really good critics telling me, Maggie, you are doing a very good you're writing good poetry. 
now more than than ever before but but you coming out of nowhere to tell me like come do this interview with me is actually really mean, means a world like it, it means a lot to me right now it, like it, it is it is of extremely supportive nature yeah i mean i guess i'd, I'd seen a like um i think i did talked to a couple people who had mentioned your work in the past and i'd seen some of your poems so then i picked up a couple of your books and really liked them and was like okay yeah i should just try and invite this person on so i as you know i emailed uh, the person who published your collected your recent collected poems and that's how and that's just how it went it was kind of in a way just a very random set of events thank you i'm really glad i'm really glad that this random set of events came to uh you in america and me and Cairo connecting it means it means it means a all to me like I, I can tell my sister as I'm sitting in her apartment now and like hey I have an interview some <laughs> I sound more important than how I was in the mental institute <laughs> while, while people just like like handling me and just like and I look very vulnerable in that time that makes sense Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's like one of the reasons I started doing this podcast is I know so many like poets who, you know, who aren't going to maybe get validation from existing institutions or if they are, it's going to be, you know, a couple decades after a couple decades of doing work. And I mean, for so many people, that's not possible. So I wanted to make sure there was a place to talk to people who and especially uh, weren't going to have the ability like who weren't going to get interviewed anywhere else because you know as we as we previously discussed the poetry institutions are just you know they're very you know they very much want to please bill to put it uh go, go back to that topic it's <laughs> all about bill yes it's like will bill come there's not gonna be arabs there's not gonna be bill that is that is the problem i want to ask you for a favor because Yeah, okay. Uh, do, do you have any, any more questions for me? That's... Oh, probably, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to say... Like, yeah, once you finish, about, once you... Fi- oh, I just mm. want to say, we've been talking for about an hour. Let me know if I'm taking up too much of your time. But what, what, no, what you're not, you're not. I'm happy. I'm happy. Like, once you have, let's say, like, I'll give you a couple of more questions. Once you are done with the two questions, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want to yeah. ask you a question what Marxism means to you in the context of poetry and then ask you to read a poem because you as someone who is doing this podcast you end up sacrificing like, like your, your intellectual interest and everything and, 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 uh, which is totally cool it's your interest, it's your choice but I want, uh, but I want you it is, it's, an, it's a, not unnatural <laughs> it's not a typical I understand what is Marxism poetry, not understand, like, I understand, no. It's like, I understand the, the, the desire to have that title. But I want you to explain to people why you have done that, and I want you to expose your poetry to the world. So, so ask me two questions, and I will ask you two questions. I'm yeah. sorry for putting you on the spot. Uh, no, but, it's but fine. I'll put you on the spot. It's going to happen. So, <laughs> no, it was due to happen uh, because I mean, it's eventually the tables are eventually going to be turned on me as a host, no matter, yeah, no matter how hard I yeah, try. Yeah, that's my name, that's the name of the game. <laughs> Bill has came for you. <laughs> Roy. 
Well, I guess, yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to, I was just thinking of the question I want to ask, but I was going to ask, I guess, more about, you know, this, the story of the, of the Saudi communists. And I, you know, you referred to that, you were trying to say like, I don't want to make this, make this a joke. And I totally get that. And I was just wanted to ask too, like in, in that context, like in, in sort of the post, you know, Arab spring world, like what is the possibility there? Egypt had always left parties and they were underground parties most of the time. But they were like lots of the time they were self. Uh, they were one. Some of them were really in connection with the working class. They were rough. They were good. But lots of the time, these uh, left parties were just like in. Uh, they would tear each other apart. They were just like accuse each other of uh, membership to the American uh, imperialists or CIA or whatever. Which was stupid, which is very, very stupid. So, the problem with the Communist parties by the book is that there is stupidity. That's, I have to tell it to you straight. And not, not, not that they were all stupid, they had amazing, amazing uh, nature, like when they connected with the, with the working class. But I. They have difficulty. It might be the nature of the people who join these kind of parties and what kind of literature they are exposed to is that they end up, it end up being hard for them, say, to negotiate the name of their party, for example. I know that I don't want to mention the name of the party, but, but the name of the one well-known, a very decent leftist party that exists in Egypt right now is that they end up having things that break them from inside deeply. And, and serious accusation of, uh, of traitorship and things like that. So I wouldn't, I personally had the nature of being a poet to not be a member of any party. It is my nature. I just don't trust parties. I don't trust institutes in general. It's not that I'm saying I'm an anarchist. I'm not. It is just like my personal, ma like my personal dis uh, demeanor is that as that stuff that just, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like to be part of any hierarchy. I I'm not interested in being a hierarchy of a society. I dislike it, which once you're in Egypt, you're in the hierarchy of a society. I don't like to be in the hierarchy of to start with, not to be in a hierarchy of an institute. So anyway, so I am not a fan anymore of that. But 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 uh, but not making fun is like these guys, like the fifty guys or more that were the Communist Party of Saudi Arabia. They're amazing. I, I can I keep thinking of like how radical they must have been. Where did they found? the literature to be who they are, how did they connect it and they communed. Anyway, so that's his answer. Make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, did you want, so did you want to ask me a question, I guess, is where we're at now. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, my question would be to form a blog or a podcast or interview about Marxism and poetry. This means that you have formed within your heart that Marxism and poetry for specific poets at least have a relationship 
So tell me what is what do you think is the relationship between Marxism and poetry? Both content-wise, like like using surplus value, and two form-wise, the shape of the poem itself. If that make any sense. So what is the relationship between Marxism and poetry? Content and form, or the shape of the poem and the content of the poem. If that make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess for the second one, I think that that feels like an easier one, almost because mm, the of the lack. <laughs> if we're talking about Marx, the lack of aesthetic, like there's no Marxist aesthetics that Marx formulated. So that to me seems like one of the reasons to do this podcast is trying to figure out what the hell a Marxist poetry aesthetics or anything like that would be, because there's just you know there's not it's not a whole ton of sort of I guess got guidance on what any of that would look like so I guess for me that's one of the interesting questions to to talk about on a podcast like this is you know what what would be the form of a Marxist poem and I don't I have no idea it just seems like a good question to talk about but as for the content um it does seem to me that yeah as we talked about there's a real need for Marxism in in poetry generally given again the the state of the world how can how can you not talk about you know the all the various con- contradictions of the art world at this point without uh a, as a as a poet like how can you not talk about just how like fucked up i don't know the grants and all the awards are and how much it costs to be a poet and all that it, it, i don't know it just seems to me that there needed to be something like that and there are some things like that but you know one more couldn't hurt and you know in terms of calling it specifically the Marxist Poetry Podcast, part of that is, you know, I guess I wanted to, uh, you know, I wa- it's it's kind of a way to, one, you know, I, I've been indebted to a lot of, like, writers and stuff who were Marxists, and I wanted to make sure to respect that, but also, like, you know, I, I don't want, I, I want people to know what it is up front. I don't want to, I could, I could have just called this like, oh, poetry talk. And I could have just invited anyone on. Any poet would have probably come on that. But, you know, I, if I call it Marxist poetry, it's going to scare certain people off. And I, I, I think I do deliberately want that. Makes sense. Yeah. Was there any other part of the question that I didn't, did I get, did I get to your question, I think? You got my question perfectly. And uh, the Marxist form, uh, the polit- the uh, uh, poetry and the poetic form, there's a book by, edited by Charles Bernstein, and I think Erica Kaufman, or, or, I think, uh, that specifically addresses uh, forms of, uh, the form of what a Marxist poem would be. And that is where the new sentence of uh, Ron Solomon is, and that's when they were saying, like, yeah, we in in a in a non in a in a capitalist world, we use the word for granted, uh, so we have to put back the the really the word itself, the signifier itself, in place. So uh, instead of just like taking it for granted, there are a bunch of so there is like. Uh, I, I will, once my memory <laughs> started functioning, I'll send you the list, the, the name of a book, 
that can address these Marxism and the politics form that form the language poetry that I don't think it is the final say of it, but it will be very useful. What you said was really amazing, actually, about, like, I learned from Marxist poets, and I wanted to honor that, and I wanted just not to make it any just generic thing. I think that's pretty fucking awesome, actually. You can remove the F word in the editing, please, but it is pretty awesome. So, I wanted to finish with reading me a poem of yours, please. Oh, okay. Um, I guess just really quick, I had to say, too, like, I I didn't want to make it sound like there's no one who's tried to answer like what a Marxist poetry form would be. Like, but I wanted to, but it, it feels like, but that's still like an open question. There did, there have been a plenty of people who have tried to answer it, but it, it feels like a question that still is being litigated. So I, yeah, it, I just wanted to make sure too, that there's a place to discuss those kind of questions because those are questions that a lot of people like I pointed out are, are trying to figure out. And yeah. Mark Nowak would have a different answer, for example, from the language poets, for example. Yeah, I had I had him on, and I guess one of the yeah, other I things, know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I well, real quick, one of the things that like, in terms of like what a Marxist poetry form would be, like I'm also aware that there's like a potential a contradiction there. Like, are we even going to have poetry in a communist society? I'd like, for me, signs point to I don't know, but you know, like I think of uh, Suzanne Césaire said something like. Um, about poetry, something to the effect of like, poetry. My, my poetry will be um, cannibalistic, or it will not be. And I guess you know, like questions like that still, I guess, haunt me. Yeah, I I I would take a communist society without poetry. Then poetry in such a horrific society as we live in. So, so I'm I'm totally cool. <laughs> Just yeah. sign me off, poetry. Just give me the communist society. So, yeah, as I so, uh, yeah, as I constantly uh, say on Twitter, I I just pray for the day poetry Twitter finally can cancel me so I can be done with poetry. I'm yeah, I've had <laughs> I've had enough. Had enough. Bill didn't come. <laughs> so, no, no, read me a poem. I want to hear your poetry. It'll be, oh, a, it'll be a treat. I almost never read my poetry out loud. Let me try and find one. Hold on. I can't even remember the other side, the other side of the argument I was so enraged by. He said it in such a profoundly profound voice, spoken conversationally but full of po- full of the power of well-constructed and finance facts. The type of American TED talker who finds themselves on every exotic vacation. You find yourself on your vacation but oppose maternity leave or vacation days for part-time workers. When I clock into paychecks each morning, I click on a link called Time and Labor. Time is first. It's time they want. They want me to be available whenever there's money to be made. I hate the sight of dollar signs. It just means more work for me. It means more work for the same amount of pay with a grateful smile. They say there are no incentives in socialism, but I'm not incentivized in capitalism, only fearful and in pain, feeling dull soreness in my wrists with each keystroke. Yeah, and that's, that's the poem. That's a beautiful poem. I love it. And oh, it's, thank you. It's a poem for it's a poem for someone who should have a blog by the name Marxism and Poetry. It's really good, man. It's really it is not it's not content only. You're playing with form too. You're using multiple content, like using multiple languages that re- that brings economics to the forefront and the pain of working daily in a capitalist society to the forefront. But you are not just doing it. Uh, this is this is. 
it doesn't take the full fun. There is a form going on there that's playing with all of that, that's tying all of that together. Pretty awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely someone, too, who feels like, I don't know, like, as you said, like a post kind of New York school kind of vibe. But that's just something I, yeah, yeah, I came that's, to. That's what I thought. That's what I saw. Yeah. yeah no, Thanks I, so much, I, Roy. Yeah, no, thank you for talking. And I think maybe that poem maybe answers some questions for you as to why I wanted to talk. Because, yeah, I definitely related to your poetry. It, it does. Way. And then, no, and I didn't, like, I would talk about poetry anytime. So, and I'm very grateful for your invitation. And it is pretty, pretty cool. And, and I'm glad to make a new friend. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, talking. And let's just talk some time outside of the, outside of the dialogue kind of thing like just like yeah, friends yeah, talking sure. about poetry